The Biden administration's stimulus package passed the Senate at the end of last week is now in the House of Representatives, setting the bill up to be signed into law as early as this week. The Washington Post exultantly proclaimed that the bill, quote, showers money on Americans. That's an actual front page headline. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality, there's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com and rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us, as always. Uh, we're, we're declaring war on certain words this week, Professor Wolf. One of the words that we've declared war on is the word moderate. Every time we turn on the TV, CNN, MSNBC, you name it, open the newspaper, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, they all say the same thing. Any millionaire in Congress, especially millionaires in Congress who happen to be Democrats, who are at war against working class Americans who want to make sure that minimum wage workers in the United States who make far less today, according to the federal minimum wage, than workers did in 1968, that would be 53 years ago when Dr. King organized the poor people's occupation of D.C. to alleviate poverty, to declare war on poverty. These moderates are millionaires who are committed to making sure there's no income increase, no wage increase for minimum wage workers. The last time, as you talked about in an earlier episode, the minimum wage was increased was 12 years ago, 2009. But here's the eight Democrats who, again, the media always calls the moderate. They just voted down the $15 minimum wage. Chris Coons, he's worth more than $10 million. Angus King, more than $9 million. Joe Manchin, real moderate, the one who's always described as that moderate from West Virginia. Well, he's a millionaire. He's worth $7 million. Tom Carper, $5 million. Janine Shaheen, $3 million. John Tester, $3 million. Maggie Hassan, $3 million. Anyway, these are all millionaires. What's up with the moderate label? Yeah, it's an attempt really to suggest 
that there's some kind of spread in our political point of view from awful to a bit more awful to downright terribly awful. But to recast it by calling them names like moderate, it, it, it is amazing. It is not just that they're millionaires, although that point is perfectly appropriate. It's also the fact that over the last 20 years, that is the lifetime of this century we're living through, an enormous amount of money counted in the tens of trillions of dollars have been showered on the richest and biggest corporations, the richest and biggest banks and individuals in our country. In response to the crash of 2000, the so-called dot-com crash, then again in response to the subprime mortgage so-called crisis of 2008, and of course over the last year with the pandemic plus another crisis. Tens of trillions showered, whether it's free new money created by the Fed, huge stimulus programs by the federal government, or the mammoth tax cut that Trump got through in December of 2017. After all of that, given to the richest in our country who need it the least, when the time comes to do something as small and minimal as raising the terribly low minimum wage from $7 and a quarter an hour, which it's been since 2009, which ranks the United States about the bottom of the advanced industrial countries. Every other major country gives more as a minimum wage. And they shot it down? I mean, it takes your breath away, the sheer grotesquerie of what these people are doing. And it tells you something about the failure of the Democratic Party. It cannot oppose this system. It less able to do so than it ever was, and it was never great at it. For a short time in the 1930s, when the collapse of capitalism was even more stark than it is today, they got up a little bit of courage to respond to the mass of people below them by becoming FDR, by becoming the New Deal. But in today's world, there is nothing. They would call those people extreme leftists because they can't find a place in their heart or their mind to take someone earning seven twenty-five an hour, an amount of money you could not live on if you worked 40 hours a week. And by the way, the proposal that was on the floor was to raise it, not immediately, heaven knows that would be too quick, to raise it in stages. It would only get to $15 an hour in 2025, over four years from now. As if that was reasonable, when they shoveled out the trillions to the banks and the corporations, it took effect immediately. The tax cut that Trump got through in December 2017 went into effect weeks after it was passed, but not this miserly increase in the minimum wage. It's, it's a sign for anyone who isn't deaf, blind, or dumb that this is a society that is a capitalist system organized for the top, and everybody else, you're on your own. Richard, one of the things that I consider to be most important, I want to kind of go through what's in this relief package. There's 
There's more. There's an extension of unemployment benefits, according to the moderate. I'm using air quotes. Joe Manchin, the extra benefit was diminished from 400 to 300, and instead of extending out to October, it only goes to September. That was a deal breaker, according to the moderate Joe Manchin millionaire. That unless these cuts were made to to benefits, he wouldn't vote for it. But you know, okay, so there's more money. In some ways, there's also more money for low-income and working-class people for the earned income credit or for children. People could get subsidized at a higher number than the paltry number that ended your potential for subsidy for the Affordable Care Act, so to speak, Obamacare. There are some things in it that will be a welcome relief for people who are really in complete destitution. 20, 30 million jobs lost, more than half of them haven't come back. I mean, people are really suffering. But it it seems to me that the issue of wages is paramount because why are people so poor? Why is it when people are just $400 away from complete and utter ruin? That's according to surveys over the last couple of years. It's because wages are so damn low. And by keeping the minimum wage almost about half of what it was in 1968 in real dollars when the minimum wage was $1.60, that brings down wages everywhere. I mean, if the bosses can hire people for $7.25 or $8 or $9, that's a drag on wages everywhere. It would seem to me the most important issue really is the issue of wages, not the issue of a temporary momentary increase in benefits through this or that program in Congress. It's really about wages. Absolutely. It's the wages is the basic income for the vast majority of people. Everyone should understand that the function of a minimum wage, long ago it became this way, is a kind of floor. There are millions of jobs in this country where the wage is set at a certain premium, a certain increase over whatever the minimum wage is. In other words, you can attract people to your employment if you're a capitalist by saying, look, uh, if you don't have skills or if you are an average person, you're going to have to work at the minimum wage, $7.25. Unless you come and work for me, I give you 10% more than that or 15% more than that. In other words, it's, it's a game of comparison to pull workers to you. Which means that if you raise the minimum wage, it is likely going to raise the wages of a lot of other people. In other words, many more people depend on the value of the minimum wage beyond those who actually get paid that amount of money. And so it is a way of boosting up all of the folks that are at or near the minimum wage. And now you're talking about tens of millions of people because the wage system is the mode of payment of the vast majority of Americans at all levels. And so, yes, the wage is much more important than an unemployment compensation, which never affects anywhere near as many people, which is temporary by definition, etc. The other thing to keep in mind is that the combination of the last year of a pandemic collapse of our public health system, because the failure of the United States in this area is number one in the world, you cannot repeat too often a simple statistic. 
The United States has 4% of the world's population and 20% of the world's deaths from the coronavirus. For a rich country, for a country with a well-developed medical system, that is an unspeakable failure to organize. You have the wealth, you have the resources, you have the medical system. You just could not make it work the way other countries with fewer resources and a less developed medical system were able to do. You've just put the people of this country through an economic crash and a public health disaster. As a result, they have used up whatever savings they have. They have had to defer expenditures on their own health, among other things. They have, in many cases, not paid their mortgage payments on their home or their rent for their apartment. They need massive help to catch up, not a little bit, not a nickel and dime over here, not an extra little bit over there. Sure, is there some relief in those things? Yes, but we're not in a place where some relief is appropriate. We haven't been through a normal situation the last year. We've put the mass of the American people through the ringer. This is a time for the generosity molecules to kick in, to do something spectacular, to do something really meaningful. And let me hammer home a political message here if it isn't clear. The mass of the American people were willing to give as many votes as they did to Donald Trump because they're suffering and because they don't see the Democratic Party as any more millions of them the party of the working man or woman, the party of those that are not at the top of the society. And so they went with Mr. Trump. The only way for the Democratic Party to get those people back is to demonstrably show in a dramatic way, we are the party that's going to help you. We are the party that you can turn to when you've had a really bad year of it to get some really significant help. At this time, to be nickel and diming as these quote-unquote moderates do, the irony of ironies is that that kind of behavior, in addition to its immorality, is political self-destruction of the Democratic Party. I couldn't agree with you more. And again, the awfulness and why we've declared war on the word moderate because the word is presented as if that moderate means reasonable. So if you're not a moderate, meaning if you want to have an increase in the minimum wage, if you want to bring it up so that people are not as poor as they were in 1968, that means you're not a moderate. That means you're probably an extremist of some type. So American politics are described in this weird, caricatured, stereotypical, and sort of self-fulfilling way by insinuating that people who want economic justice are extreme and those who want to maintain an extremely bad system for workers, that they're moderate. And let's go to that direct payment issue. I mean, while they were in the Senate runoff in Georgia, the Democrats were saying over and over again, we could have compiled an audio compilation, which maybe we should have, of Biden and the candidates in Georgia and Democrats everywhere saying $2,000 per person. As soon as the vote was over in Georgia and the Democrats got those two 
seats. And some Republicans said they voted for the Democrats because of the 2000 in Georgia. They immediately said, well, it's not actually 2000. It's really 1400. Okay, that's a pretty big shift. Then the whole debate in Congress has been how to make sure that people who, quote, don't need the $1,400, this huge largesse, don't get it. So the debate was, when does the subsidy end? And so now the agreement has been, if you make under 75000 per year, then you can get the 1400 Now, Professor Wolf, those numbers of how much you made, they're based on the last time you filed your income tax. Most people haven't filed 2020 income tax returns yet. So the income tax returns that they're filing or have, are on record are from 2019 before the pandemic. And somebody can make the argument that $75,000 a year makes you rich. But if you made $75,000 a year and lived in New York, San Francisco, Washington, or most cities in America, you're not rich. You're paying huge amounts for rent, for mortgage, for healthcare, car payments, you name it. And moreover, you might have lost your job in the last year. A lot of people in that income bracket, which is working class, not upper class, a lot of those folks lost their jobs. So the fact that the debate was raging so much energy over whether and at what number to cut off the subsidy for an already diminished number, 1400 not 2000 it also, again, the media, if people are getting their news or their consciousness is being shaped by the media... It's a completely skewed sort of understanding of what is actually going on in the population. Well, you know, that's true. And let me add another so people see the horror of this. One of the largest tax cuts in American history was the one engineered by the Republican-dominated Congress under Trump in December of 2017. A massive tax cut. Who did it go to? The biggest corporations, the richest Americans got the lion's share. In 2017, those people, the biggest corporations and the richest Americans, had just come to the end of the most profitable 40 years of American history ever. The booming stock market, the booming corporate environment, the booming inequality that made the rich ever richer. If ever a corporate sector had been so profitable that it was clearly not in need, it was in December of 2017. Same thing for the rich people. Not only did they get one of the biggest tax cuts, but none of these moderate senators, none of the Republicans, had any worry that, quote, This tax cut might benefit people who don't need it. And the reason they never brought that up was because none of the great rich beneficiaries needed it. There were even some, like Warren Buffett and others, billionaires, who said you shouldn't be doing this because we don't need it. The senators wouldn't listen. They wanted to give these rich people a big cut because they hoped to get some donations back. The issue of not giving it to people who don't need it seems to be only relevant when it's the mass of the population. Then suddenly you don't want to help people who might not need it. The hypocrisy 
the talking out of two sides of your mouth, the ugly fakery of it all. For those of us who follow this stuff, yeah, we either have to blame the media or something else that this is a system that measure by measure confuses and fuzzes the information to hide what it is actually doing so that it falls to those of us who have an opportunity to say, wait a minute, this emperor, pardon me for mixing my metaphors, this emperor really is naked. This is a naked stealing of the mass of people's money while telling them fantastic stories about what a big favor you're doing them. I want to look at one or two other pieces of this stimulus relief package and get your comments. Now, again, I think the country suffers from very, very, very low expectations. Even the most liberal members of the House and the Senate, you know, they voted for it even though the minimum wage was taken out. And they actually have quite a bit of leverage because the Democrats, if they lose a few votes, it doesn't pass. And Biden really, really wanted to pass this thing. So instead of it being the squad or Bernie, you know, like holding up the works, it's Joe Manchin and the so-called moderates, meaning the extremist, cruel millionaires who basically said, oh, you have to lower benefits or else. So we have this thing where the left is always always, and when I say left, I don't even mean, I'm not talking about radical people, you know, just the liberal wing of the Democratic Party are endlessly in a cycle of capitulation. So the low expectations kind of go across the board. But then listen to some of this. I mean, Bernie Sanders said this is the most significant piece of legislation to benefit working families in the modern history of this country. Well, that doesn't say much then. But anyway, he said it. Here's from the Financial Times. A boost to the tax credit for children is projected to reduce the number of children in poverty by 50%, while an emergency top-up to unemployment benefits worth $300 per week will be extended through September. Now, if this moderate thing, Professor Wolf, this moderate package, which is not far-reaching, reduces childhood poverty in America by 50%, Just think of what the government could do instantly to remove all of these millions of kids out of poverty. I mean, shouldn't children in this, the richest country in the world, have as a fundamental right, the right not to be poor? I mean, isn't enforced poverty, and you hear you have a bill that says we're going to reduce poverty by 50% overnight or within a few months, that means it's all doable. That means it's completely achievable. And yet... uh, this is sort of considered a collateral element, a collateral benefit from the relief package for Biden. I mean, where's the war on poverty? Absolutely. It's, it's a sign that this is achievable. Uh, those of us who follow this on a regular basis know countless studies that indicate it's achievable. It's a purely political question whether you go after the resources that are there, no question about it to do what's right or not. I mean, for example, are you going to tax wealthy people so that you can amass in that way resources without the government having to go into debt, without all of the secondary consequences of that? Are you going to do that? Can you do that? Sure you could. Sure you could. In the Great Depression, people should understand 
we drastically reduced the inequality of wealth and income in this country. We used the resources of the rich to take care of the larger society. And the reason we did it, the way we did it, was that Roosevelt, under pressure from the unions and the socialists and the communists from below, went to the rich people, Roosevelt was one of them after all, and he said, you better give me a portion of your wealth and income to help the mass of people through this depression. And if you don't, there will be a revolution and you won't have anything to give anyone ever. That scared them as it well should have. And so they agreed. For the first time in a long time in this country, maybe ever, you had a drastic reduction in inequality because the resources of the rich were tapped. A significant portion of them were tapped to help the mass of people. And suddenly, in a depression worse than the one we have now, the miracle happened. You could do things for people. We created social security for the first time. You give a check to everybody who's 65, a meaningful check every month for the rest of their life, an unemployment compensation system. You give people meaningful money every week for a year or two to see them through. The first minimum wage, speaking of which, was passed in those years, forcing employers at a time of depression when they said they couldn't afford it. Yeah, well, you have to. And finally, the government jobs program, 15 million people put to work, given a decent salary. All of that was done by taking the wealth from the super rich, giving it out to a mass support for people. It made Mr. Roosevelt, the most popular president in American history, reelected three times, never happened before, ever. What's the, the political possibility? We know it can be done. The resources, we're richer now than we were then. And the wealth is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. It's possible to raise wild amounts of money, even if you follow the moderate proposal of Elizabeth Warren from a week or so ago, when she proposes to put 2% on the money above 50 million that people have. There's enough people with that one-tenth of one percent, to fuel much of the government's program, raises more money over the next bunch of years than this program in total spends. So this is, this is childish. It's being moderate. When the people's need is extreme, when the possibility is to meet that need, and when I'm convinced, and I don't say this with any satisfaction, that if the Democratic Party holds back the way it just did, can't do better than this kind of program, it has sealed its own fate. It has demonstrated to the mass of people that this is the most that Democratic Party can do. You've just been through one of the worst years in the history of this country, and they can't come up with another pale version of Obama-Biden Democratic moderate support for the mass of people. It is a classic political miscalculation, and it will cost us all very dearly. When one considers what is doable, what is achievable, and in short order, very, very short order, I mean, all of these problems that we 
are talking about that seem the Congress comes at it with such a mystique, like who's going to possibly pay for it? When, again, we're talking about a relief package that, according to the sponsors, says 50% of childhood poverty would be eliminated almost overnight. Whether that's true or not, it shows what could be done if there was a real you know, priority for it. There were 16 million Americans served in the armed forces in World War II, 16 million. When they came back from the war, they were all given the right to go to college for free. That was the GI Bill. Many, many, many millions of families sent someone to college for the very first time. Somehow the government said, because it prioritized it, we could do it. Or the medical benefits that veterans have. I mean, veterans essentially have what in essence would be socialized medicine. It's not delivered to military veterans on the basis of their customers or consumers, and they have to buy healthcare plans. That's a right. Now, if socialized medicine is considered cool and acceptable for military veterans, why wouldn't it be cool and acceptable for the entire population? I mean, why is the only part of the population that gets rewarded with this sort of access to a basic right with medicine are people who had to first go to some foreign land and fight people they didn't know, speak a language they didn't understand, a culture they didn't quite get, a religion they don't know anything about. I mean, here the war in Afghanistan, it's been going on for 20 years. Those people, unfortunately, people who serve there, at least they have socialized medicine. I mean, these are the categories, again, the low expectations, including from the liberal wing, so-called liberal wing or social democratic wing. It's not really social democratic. It's really more like a liberal wing of the Democratic Party. Nobody's even talking like that. Yeah. I mean, and can you imagine if they held up and said, well, this veteran you see has an income because he inherited something, or this veteran is married to somebody who's earning an income, so we're not going to let them come to the VA hospital. Uh, what? You say, no, no, there's an important issue here. This person served in the military services, and we have a policy that says there's a kind of recognition of that that takes the form of providing them with medical care. You're absolutely right. Why isn't a child a person who can't possibly be held guilty for having done any bad thing to anybody is trying to make a life for himself or herself, trying not to be, we hope, a burden on their parents, trying not to be a difficulty that will make their childhood difficult. Can't we help every American family by saying, if you're I mean, I'm not advocating this, but just as an example, if you're under 21 years of age, of course, all of your medical needs, if you're injured, if you get sick, we will help you. That's a commitment of our community to our children. I mean, you know, if you're sitting in church someplace and someone says to you, wouldn't that be a good thing to do? I think the overwhelming majority of Americans would nod. Sure, they would. But there's something, a disconnect between what the American people in fact support, by the way, the polls show this, and what the political representatives, and that's where you're listing the millions that they have is so important. Those people in there are themselves part of the 
financial elite of this country. And their campaigns depend on getting donations from the financial elite. They know that's where their bread is buttered. They know that the mass of people, they have a vote you need, but they don't have any money. And the people you've got to get the money from don't want to pay higher wages, don't want to pay taxes, don't want to part with a nickel of what they have. So you better please them. You can't use the votes to win over those rich people. You've got to use their money to win over the voters. And that's what we do. The politicians pander to the rich and the corporations get the money they need and then do the advertising to dissuade, to fool, to misinform the masses of people enough to get the votes. And that's why they keep doing things that the top 1% love and the rest of us don't agree with. But then we get lots of fuzzy messages from the media owned by those same elite people uh, that keep us confused about what is or isn't happening. Give us one of these headlines. And by the way, the notion that 50% of child poverty is going to go away that's advertising. If you believe that, you're the person who believes that if you just use that brand of soap, it'll revolutionize your sex life. Indeed. Professor Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He is the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from pandemics or itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com, rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.